Now if you turn to chapter 12 of Luke from which we have read twice already this morning I want us to think this morning through the subject of the Christian and material possessions the Christian and material possessions now it's a rather tricky subject because there is always a problem and I've already been accused of this um, in a kindly sort of way of being uh, perhaps verging on being political in some of my statements I, no particular intention I don't think I'm a, a very political animal but the, there is a danger whenever we start talking about uh, riches or poverty that we are al- aligning ourselves with some or other political party it is not necessarily the case but Christ does speak, I think, quite clearly about the whole situation and certainly of this relationship that those who profess to be his followers should have to the things of the world. The, the relationship between the Christian and material possessions. And simply because we all have possessions of a greater or lesser extent and because they are labelled probably as our own and therefore we are attached to them to some degree we also uh, have difficulty in dealing with the subject it becomes tricky because people perhaps feel a wee bit got at we all do I think basic to the whole relationship to the things that we have in life is that the Christian has to have a very free almost detached relationship it is not wrong to have things but what becomes wrong is when we are over attached in the wrong way to these possessions that we have now the disciples of Jesus are specifically called to live very loosely by the things of this world and yet the problem is simply because we're human and we are in this world and we do have things we can very easily get absorbed in them, preoccupied with them. And as a result, as a consequence, we even become like a person who is not a Christian at all. Can we turn to verse 48 of Luke chapter 12? And taking the second half of that verse, there is a very important principle outlined there. Verse 48, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded and from the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked now if we can as it were think around that particular truth that basic principle that the more that we have the greater our responsibility becomes but we'll come to that in time I want us to think really of six different things, looking at the passage, the part that we read particularly, three of them beginning with A, three of them beginning with R. First is our assessment of material possessions, our assessment of them. To think of this we really have to go back to the section before we read, that is the section headed the parable of the rich fool. We go there to the particular warning that Jesus gives in verse 15. When he said, and he said this uh, to those who were there, 
to all of them, not just to the man who came with the, the, the problem of sorting out the family money, but to all of them he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now that again is a very dramatic statement from Jesus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It seems plain, it seems perfectly obvious that is so on one level. And yet the very way that we are tempted to live our lives is the fact that a man's life does consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Jesus says it doesn't. There is almost a conflict with uh, the very basic human uh, lifestyle that we, we have or we would want to have. Now let me see again. It is not possession that is wrong, that are, are wrong. A man may have many possessions and live righteously, live justly in the sight of God. God may be pleased with him, even though he's a rich man. If you look through the scriptures, in fact we say that God will reward people and will make them rich because that they are living as he wants them to live. And he doesn't scorn riches as such. But what is wrong is perhaps our own assessment of these riches. You take this case of this rich farmer. The rich farmer is called a fool. It's a parable of the rich fool. But he wasn't a fool because he was a good farmer. And he wasn't a fool because he had a lot of money. He was a fool simply because he was so attached to what he had and to what profits he made. It was his wrong assessment of his possessions that made him a fool. <coughs> In the whole of his life, it revolved really round himself. You can see that clearly if you read through the parable carefully. It revolved round himself, it revolved round his possessions, and within all his thinking and all his planning, there was no room for God, and there was little or no room for others either. It was an imbalanced life. He had a wrong assessment of possessions. Now we have to ask ourselves, and ask ourselves honestly, how do we really evaluate the things, the possessions that we have in life, the things that we've been given, or we've got one way or another? Watch out. That's what Jesus says. Watch out. There's much more to life than possessions. Our assessment. Also I want us to think of our anxiety regarding material possessions. If we have a wrong assessment of the things that we have, it will lead ultimately to anxiety. That was the problem with this man. God broke into the, the wrong thinking of this man and intimated that his life was going to be taken from him. We don't know how. We don't know what would have been written in uh, on the death certificate, the cause of death. But I wouldn't be surprised but it was somehow tied in with some sort of anxiety that was building up. Some crisis within his own thinking that uh, brought on uh, an over-concern. People die of such things. They die because they are over-involved, over-concerned with just how to make their daily living or what to do with their profits and how to increase their possessions. And anxiety is a very natural consequence of being involved with things in this world at all. But for the Christian, Jesus says such anxiety 
is out of place. It may be that we consider it quite normal. We sort of say, well, it, it's natural to worry. And it may be very natural to worry. It may be considered normal in the sense that nearly every other person does it. But it doesn't make it right. Anxiety of this degree, this over-concern about things, Jesus is say, says should have no place whatsoever in, in a Christian attitude, in a Christian approach to life in this world. It is not only wrong, Jesus says it is sinful. And it's sinful for this very reason. That if a Christian becomes over-concerned with things, and if he's going to worry about what he's going to eat, and what he's going to wear, and what uh, everyone else he has to think about in life, if he's over-anxious about these things, it means that he is taking the burden upon himself of these decisions and of providing for himself, and he is forgetting. He is blatantly omitting the fact that there is a God in heaven. That his God is his Father in heaven. Anxiety reveals a lack of true faith. And that is what makes it sinful. We worry over perhaps some of the bigger problems in life. We worry about things that we don't really need. And we worry about things we don't need to worry about. But we may worry even about these basic necessities. Or what we're going to eat, what we are going to wear. Jesus says, we ought not. There is no need to. For why? Because we have one who is our God, who is our Father in heaven. If our trust is in Jesus, if we say that we belong to God, then our God is going to supply all our needs according to the riches of his grace through Christ Jesus. Anxiety is really a failure to trust God at a practical level. Now, as Christians... We may say, in fact we do say, by, by necessity, by our profession of faith, we say that we have a Father in heaven. We say that God is our Father. And yet in our practical daily living, we are in a sense denied. We live as if we had no Father in heaven at all. And we, be, we become anxious, over-anxious, about things that we need not worry about at all. It becomes sinful. It's a lack of trust in God. God himself says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And if we are not trusting God, then we are not pleasing God. We only make God happy when we trust him. We only make ourselves happy. As we sang in, or as part of Psalm 146, we only make ourselves happy when we trust in him. Anxiety is wrong. When we worry over things, what happens to us is simply that we become like the pagans. And I don't know what you think of when you think of a pagan man. You think of perhaps somebody who came from some prehistoric age, somebody a caveman style who's living in, 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 literally in the cave and in, 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 in total uncivilization. But a pagan is not. A pagan is whoever is our neighbor who is not a Christian. That is who Jesus is speaking of here. The people who do not actually trust in God. They are pagans. And if we are Christians, and yet in our daily life we are actually becoming over-anxious about the, the, the material possessions that we have, or more anxious about the ones that we do not have but we want, then we are becoming like these pagans. We are really saying, well, we don't trust God anyway. Now the people who don't know God, 
Jesus says they run after all these things and it's only natural, they have nothing else to hold on to in life. It has to be. They need these things in order to give their life meaning and substance. But the Christian doesn't need it. Because the Christian has a God in heaven who is going to give them every blessing through Jesus Christ and every need supplied by His grace. Don't let your anxiety make you like a pagan. There is one third A. There's our assessment, our anxiety, and our attitude. And this is perhaps basic to it all. As I've said, material things in and of themselves are not wrong. There is and has been through history in different times and places the idea put forward that material things are in themselves evil. And perhaps it even filters through into some of our own way of thinking or acting. Material things in themselves are not evil. But our attitude to them may well be. And it's really a matter of priorities. We were talking about this recently. But this is what it's all about. It is where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. It depends if we are wanting to put first of all. the, The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we will discover that all these other things. All these other possessions will be added to us. It is a matter of priorities. It is a matter of our own attitude. But if these things, if our possessions are our priority, and we worry about them, we're better actually to get rid of them. Look at what it says in verse 33. Jesus says very specifically to the little flock who belong to him, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Rather than building up more and more, And rather than becoming more and more anxious about them because of the increased responsibilities that you have with them, get rid of them. Never get rid of your anxieties and get to know even more of the blessing of your Father in Heaven in your own life. Our attitude, our chief interest as Christian people ought not to be in the fading things of this life. That is really the whole point, that is the whole emphasis. That we have, there is another dimension to the Christian life and to the Christian viewpoint that looks beyond the things that we can have and touch and see and handle and possess. We can look beyond to the things that are unseen but are lasting, are eternal. And really the heart of the matter is this. And it is a matter of the heart. It depends really what we are attached to. Are we really attached to Christ? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Are we setting our affections there? Are we attached to the things that are around us and which we become to to depend on day by day as if they were all important to us? It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of the heart. But this is a fact for us all. And you can assess your own standing before God today by it. In verse 34, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you love the things of this world, your heart will will be involved and attached to these things. That's where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. If you really love Christ, your heart will be where Christ is. If you love the concerns of the kingdom of God, your heart and your whole life will be involved in the concerns of the kingdom of God. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is to be the Christian's attitude. It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of the heart.
But then we come to the question of our own relationship. This is the first of the three R's. Our relationship to material possessions. And in fact our relationship uh, to this life and to the possessions of this life depends on our relationship to Jesus Christ. How really do we view our own connection to Christ? If we say we are Christians, how do we stand with Jesus? What is the relationship between him and I? And that is what we find when we move on into this next parable, beginning at verse 35. Jesus is there speaking of the relationship of the Christian to to himself as the relationship of servant to master, servant to the Lord. And though this is a new parable, it is really a continued thought. Christians are servants of Jesus Christ. They are people who not only sort of belong to, to them as, by some variable profession of faith. They are people who belong to them, heart, life, soul, everything. We are not our own masters. Now that truth affects the Christian in all that he is and in all that he has as well. If we belong to Christ, every part of us belongs to Christ. And that's what a servant means. Now I think as Christians, we are only too ready to qualify the terms of our service. We'll say, oh yes Lord, I'll be your servant. But let me write in this just as a sort of condition of my own service. And we are saying we will serve in certain areas, but there are other parts of our lives that are not going to come under your control, your, your mastership. But it cannot be. Either we are a servant of Jesus Christ or we are not a servant of Jesus Christ. Or at least either we are a good servant or we are a bad servant. You see we can't say well I'll be a servant but what suits me has to be understood. What suits me is not important. It's what suits Jesus Christ. He's Lord. He's Master. He's dictating the terms. And that always has to be. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves any longer. And because of that, because we are servants, we are under the control of another, the, the, the ownership of another, then we have to answer at the end of the day for what we are, for what we have. We have to answer to our superior, to our master, to our saviour, Jesus Christ. And our standing at the end of the day depends on our relationship to Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. How often the apostles sign themselves as such servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we are. Every Christian is. That's our relationship. Then we see also in that connection our response to the Lord Jesus. In this parable we find in fact two kinds of servants. What we could call a good servant and a bad servant. One who is obedient and one who is disobedient. These two kinds. Now both these servants believed something about their master. They believed that he had gone away but that he was going to come back again. They both believed that. There was no, they didn't try to change the, the facts of what their master had said. I will come back. They believed that. But the bad servant simply thought that his master would be delayed longer than he really was. 
Now you see it within the Christian church, how easy it is to fall into these two categories. Servants, yes, but good servants and bad servants. Those who are so attached to Jesus Christ, they are looking for the coming of Christ and they are working along towards the coming of Christ. Or those who are, for lack of a better word, could be described as bad servants. Who are, yes, they believe that Jesus is coming again. That is part of their theological statement. But they do not believe that he's going to come back all that soon. And so they begin to abuse and misuse their servanthood. They, they act as people who are not any longer responsible servants. Now that is a great problem with us. And as such, they are not already, they are not fit to meet the master. You know, if somebody is coming to your house, somebody important is coming for lunch, uh, or whatever, coming to stay for a day or more, you make special preparations, perhaps depending on how much you, uh, you, you think of them or how much you fear or dread them or depending, but you make special arrangements for special people. And so it is, with those who are servants of Jesus Christ, they, they are, are those who, who really take his coming again seriously. They will be prepared, they will be ready, they will go to no, no ends in order to be ready. I wonder what we are ourselves. Something you have to answer for yourself. Are we servants of Jesus Christ at all? Are we those who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus? And if so, are we good servants? Or bad servants? Are we looking for the coming again of the Lord Jesus as that great desire in our own hearts? And are we working towards that? People who will be ready and totally unashamed if Christ were to come today. What is your response? Now there is one last thing I want us to think of and that is our responsibility. And this is what takes us through to the verse that we selected as our text. Look again at verse 48, the second half. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now that there is a basic guiding principle for the way that we are to operate. It outlines clearly our own responsibility before God. And it's a truth that stands as a truth for every person in the world, even if they are not Christians. That those who are given much, a lot more will be asked for them, proportionately. According to what we have, we will have to give an account for. All of us. We hear much today about creating wealth within society or within the world. We hear a lot from certain political parties, particularly of uh, the ownership of, of wealth. But the fact is, when we look at our own lives, these statements are not altogether true because we neither create nor do we own the things that we have in life. One sense, we may create them, we, we may go and make something literally physically or we may go out and earn our daily bread so that certain things we go and buy with the money that we earn by our sweat and, and tears and so on. Or it may be that we can say that we own certain things, they are mine rather than somebody else's. But in the last analysis, we neither create nor own, we are given. Now that is what we find here 
in this verse that everyone who has been given much much will be demanded if you take that further through to the Apostle Paul he, he asks us to, to ask ourselves the question what have you that you have not received think it through in your own exist, from your own experience what have you got in life that you have not received from God is there anything the fact is there's not everything we have is given to us it is in one sense not really created by us or owned by us it belongs to God and therefore we are acting here as servants or perhaps even in a better term stewards we have been entrusted with certain things that we're not all equal it is I think arguing against the facts of life to say that that all men are equal. We're, we are equal in certain respects, but we are certainly not equal in the things that we have. And even if we were going to share out equally today within the world the things that exist, they wouldn't be equal tomorrow because some will always have more and some will always get less. And that's the way it goes. That's a fact of life. We are therefore not equal in that sense. But we all have things. And we are all responsible for what we have in the proportion that we have them. You know, the great fast is made the whole of certain uh, political aims are that we should increase our wealth or that we should increase our standard of living that we should improve ourselves let us have more and more well, I do not know that that would be the best thing for us because the more that we have the more responsibility we have to go with it it can become a greater burden to us but certainly let me say again it is not wrong to possess and it's not wrong even to be rich in the sense of if we can classify that word, if we can, if we can say what that word really means. It's not necessarily wrong to have plenty. We may even because of a certain uh, money aspect or, or, or greater affluence in any area, we may have greater potential influence. We may be better able to serve God and to serve our fellow men. May it so be if we have things to use. On the other hand, it may not. It may be just a greater noose around our own neck the more that we have. But this is certainly true. And this is true for us all. The more that we have, the greater our own responsibility. And we have to think of that responsibility not only towards God in some sort of vague sense that we have to give an account at the end of the day, but we have to our responsibility of using what we have while we have it here and now. James speaks in very direct terms, indeed in his letter, of the, the person who has something, who is a Christian. Says he's a Christian, he has things. He sees another Christian who doesn't have the things he has. And he says, oh, I love you, brother. But he doesn't give him a penny. He doesn't give him anything to help him along in his need. Is such a person a Christian at all? James well asks. We have to use what we have in order to help those who have not. Now part of the, the whole issue of tear fund and of having a particular day perhaps to concentrate on the work of tear fund is to bring before our own minds the vast, vast needs of many, many people throughout the world. Now we cannot. We don't pretend to meet them all or even, even a fraction of them. But even to think that we shall go anything towards in our hearts and by our actions and by our prayers and by our money to help anywhere. And also we have to think of the Christian community nearer home. And we have to think uh, of, a, of our own relationships within the Christian fellowship of this congregation. To remember 
our own responsibility before God. If God is given to us, He's given it in trust so that we will use it well and wisely in His service. It belongs to Him, not to us. That is our responsibility. And we will be have to give an account for what we have done with what we have at the end of the day. What are we doing with the things that God has given to us? Do we ourselves, in the first instance, belong to Jesus Christ? Can we really put ourselves in that wonderful category at all? Have we trusted Christ ourselves to know him as our own saviour and as our own master? And are we really walking in that relationship of service so that what we are and what we have is used not in a selfish way for us, but is used for him and for his people and for his glory? May God help us and may he help us to put his word into practice. Now shall we join together in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you that you have given to us your word of truth so that we will not walk merely by our own principles and our own basic instincts. But Lord, that we would be guided aright and that we would live in a way that does not just please ourselves but pleases you. No, Lord God, we do ask this day that you would forgive us because so often we have received freely from your hand and we have acted selfishly or, or we have misused what you have given to us. Lord, make us, each one of us, to be those who put our trust in the Lord Jesus so that we would not be accounted either pagans or outcasts at the end of the day. But may we as such entrust in you, trust you every day, every step of the way for what we need. And may we use what we have, much or little, for the sake of our Saviour and of your kingdom and of your people. Lord, take away from us, we pray, all our sin. Continue with us in our times of fellowship together. Be with each one of us this day in what we do. And may what we do be such as will please you. We ask it in the name of our Saviour Jesus and for his sake. Amen.